0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, a major health magazine puts out an issue celebrating fatness and calling for gyms and fitness instructors to be better fat allies. And it's not a satire. It's all very real. Also, Joe Biden cusses out a Fox reporter. How would the media have reacted if Trump did the same thing to someone at, say, CNN? And amid uh, talk of war for the sake of protecting Ukraine, the White House has asked why America should put itself at risk to protect Europe if Europe won't protect itself. It's a good question. Uh, the answer was not so great. Though also the ladies of The View uh, agree that they may never feel comfortable in public again without a mask because of everything we've learned during the pandemic. But what have we learned exactly? And finally, in our daily cancellation, Lena Dunham is back on the scene and it didn't take long for her to get canceled. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. As we all know, inflation is out of control and it's not projected to get better anytime soon. That's why it's never been more important to rethink how we shop and how we choose the brands that are effective, safe, and in it for the long haul. Our partner Naturally It's Clean can help. Naturally It's Clean is dedicated to providing the most effective cleaning products for your home while reducing the cost, reducing your waste, and reducing other harmful chemicals in your home as well. Their safer chemistry solutions utilize nature's powerful plant-based enzymes to clean every area of your home, from the bathroom to your hardwood floors to your kitchen, all of it can be cleaned with Naturaleids Clean. Now, you might be wondering, what does this have to do with inflation? Naturalids Clean is here to help you save big on the cleaning solutions you use every day by offering many of their top cleaning solutions as a concentrate formula. Many of their concentrate solutions will yield 12 bottles, driving down the cost per bottle, and allow you to save big, giving your budget the break it deserves. And as somebody with four kids, I can tell you that, um, and you, you know this if you're a parent, that cleaning products becomes a big part of your life and it becomes a big part of your budget as well. Naturally It's Clean can make that a lot um, more painless for you. So try it for yourself. Right now, my listeners can get their hands on the Naturally It's Clean Daily Wire Essential Kit stocked with four great products for 15% off. Simply visit naturallyitsclean.com slash Matt and use promo code Matt to save an additional 15% off your order. Don't delay a break from, from inflation is here. Try out these incredible cleaning products in your home today by visiting naturallyitsclean.com slash Matt for more information. So the first month of the new year usually means big business for the fitness industry. People across the country are looking back at our previous year, reflecting on the collective hours and days spent lying around like slugs, consuming three times as many calories as we burn off on a good day, our waistlines expanding to blimp-like proportions, feeling the fleeting pangs of guilt for all of this, remembering that both sloth and gluttony are deadly sins, and uh, thus resolving to finally begin engaging in some form of physical movement in the year ahead. Of course, the problem is that once we embark on our new health and wellness quest, we discover that exercise is, you know, difficult. And uh, worst of all, it, it takes up time that could be better spent watching TikTok videos. And so the resolve dies away and the gyms empty out as quickly as they were filled. Though most of the people who abandon their gym routines still continue paying their membership fees, hoping that at least being a dues-paying member of a gym might, you know, count for something as if heart disease will see their membership card on their keychain and pass them over on that basis alone. Uh, The fitness industry does not need you to actually get healthy and fit. It just needs you to see health and fitness as at least theoretically desirable. But what happens when these things, health and fitness and general physical wellness, can no longer be presented as even theoretically desirable? That's when you end up with absurdities like the latest issue of Self Magazine. Now, Self is an online publication allegedly focused on health and beauty and owned by the same mega corporation that gives us Vogue, The New Yorker, GQ, Vanity Fair, Wired, pretty much every other magazine in existence, it would seem. Self's first issue of 2022 looks so on the nose, so perfectly representative of all of the foibles of wokeness that you might at first think it's some kind of intentional self-parody. And it is self-parody, but it's just not intentional. As you can see on the cover here, Um, It features an an obese woman in spandex, along with the headline, The Future of Fitness. And one wonders if the next issue will have a picture of a square with the headline, The Future of Circles, or the number five with the headline, The Future of Two Plus Two. In any case, the subheadings on the cover promise to give us more information about, quote, the relentless reality of anti-fatness in fitness, and, quote, four ways to respond to unnecessary encouragement at the gym. Yeah, you know, all those bullies at the gym that uh, encourage you. An introductory article by the editor-in-chief, Lita Shai, explains the point and purpose of this health magazine's new focus on promoting obesity. She writes, quote, In this Digital Issues articles and essays, when we say future, we're not talking about the latest fitness trackers or streaming workout equipment. We're talking about the people who are changing the landscape of an industry that has, for too long, excluded many. Over the past few years, thanks to the body positivity movement, as well as other thoughtful explorations that have challenged complacent ideas about weight and size, we've seen an important shift in how we discuss larger bodies. But fitness spaces can be a final frontier in a particular strain of body discrimination where anti-fat bias and weight-related stigma are entrenched in our collective understanding of what it means to be fit. It's time to break free from this limited view. The future of fitness is about making space for everyone to feel welcome. So in this package, we're celebrating the people who are helping get us there. Now, clicking through to discover the whole package, we find articles with titles like, quote, 12 pieces of running gear that can make running in larger bodies more comfortable. Now, I know what can make running in larger bodies more comfortable, um, a salad. But I'm guessing that doesn't make it on the list. Other titles, here's how to find a gym that's size-friendly. And quote, these 10 people are challenging how the fitness industry treats fatness. And then how to feel confident at the gym when you're starting out, according to 12 larger bodied exercisers. Now, please note the updated PC lingo here. Um, A fat guy at the gym is no longer a fat guy at the gym. He is now a larger bodied exerciser. If all of this doesn't sound inane enough, then how about this headline? Six things fitness instructors should do to become a better fat ally. And, quote, seven seemingly empowering body positive phrases that actually reinforce ableism. And then my favorite, seven ways to repair your relationship with movement. Now, I love that last one because it provides a very useful framework for laziness, which, of course, is what is what all of this is really doing. But um, now when my wife asks me for a third time to get off the couch and go take the garbage cans out, I can just say, sorry, honey, I'm really working on my relationship with movement right now. We've decided to to take some time apart, and it's for the best. Can you bring me another beer, by the way? I need you to be a fat ally, honey. Now, it's easy enough to laugh at all this because it's so interminably stupid, but Unfortunately, this stuff doesn't just live on Tumblr Tumblr blogs and weird internet forums anymore. This is a health magazine published by one of the largest media companies on the planet. Imagine if Men's Health put out an issue on alcoholism, but every article just encouraged you to keep drinking as much booze as you want. Six things you can do to be a better binge drinker ally. Here's how to find an AA meeting that's BYOB. These 10 drunk drivers are challenging how the court system treats impaired driving. For now, anyway, though this could change as we continue our slide down the slippery slope, everyone would agree that such content would be not only ridiculous, but harmful, evil even, as it would actively encourage people to destroy themselves. It's like finding a suicidal man standing at the edge of the roof and shouting, you should totally jump if you want to. Don't let anyone judge you if you jump. Maybe you can fly. Only one way to find out. And this is why, of course, fat acceptance will never be anything but morally perverse and repulsive. It's like bulimia acceptance or the acceptance of people who cut their wrists. To love someone is to will their good. That is to help them towards, um, towards what is good for them. But if you're helping them towards degradation, despair, and destruction, that's hatred or at least indifference. This is also why obesity is not an identity. It's the erasure of identity, both because it will kill you, I mean, literally erasing you physically from existence, and also because it covers the defining parts of you. It will always be absurd to claim that a morbidly obese woman is physically beautiful. She's not, because her feminine features are covered in lard. I mean, you may as well say someone is most beautiful when they have a blanket over their heads. Beautiful in this context context is a description of physical features, but morbid obesity overtakes all of your physical features, covers and destroys them, so that when you call a morbidly obese person physically beautiful, you must be describing the obesity itself as beautiful, which is to say that destruction and sickness are beautiful, which is itself a sick thing to say. This is the backwards world we find ourselves in when self-perception reigns supreme. It's a problem we talk about often on this show because it lies at the root of almost everything that's going wrong in our culture. In a world where the ego is king, the job of everyone around you is to reinforce how you perceive yourself or how you at least want to perceive yourself. Because you shouldn't have to conform yourself to any outside reality. There's no truth greater than your truth, your will, your ego. So if you want to feel healthy and beautiful, as everybody does, then society must simply declare that you are both of those things. It would be an act of unthinkable oppression for anyone to tell you that, though you want to be those things, you're not. Even if they lay out a plan and they promise to help you become what you want to be, if they say you're not those things right now, But you can be, here's how to do it, I'll help you. Even that is oppressive because it implies that there's a truth and reality greater than the individual ego, something that the individual must navigate through, rules that he has to follow. And the modern narcissist simply cannot accept that. So he stares in the mirror, tells himself fairy tales about himself, and everybody plays along, cheering him on. And on, and on, and on, and all the way over the ledge. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, I don't know about you, but one of my biggest resolutions for the year 2022 is to stop wasting so much time in the auto parts store, right? I mean, this is just hours and and cumulatively days that are wasted. With the ever-increasing numbers of cars and makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions? Um, If you're a real man, you should never be intimidated by questions at the auto parts store, but I am because I'm not a real man. Why endure that? when, uh, you know, many times the guy behind the counter, he's not going to have the parts he needs anyway. He's going to have to order it on his computer. Well, you have the computer yourself. You can access rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand specifications of prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and they're the same no matter who you are. Reliably low prices, amazing selection, all the parts you'll ever need. RockAuto.com. Go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. All right, another cheerful opening monologue. You, you always get those from this show. Um, you know, the other, the other point I wanted to make about that um, is uh, this, uh, of course, we, we find that this uh, uh, inclusivity idea. The gyms have to be inclusive of uh, of everyone, and of course, in in a certain way, they they already are. I mean, it's, if you're out of shape, then the gym's for you. Um, come come in and uh, and get into better shape. It's um, for, you know, it's like from a moral and spiritual perspective, uh, churches are supposed to be inclusive of sinners, which is a good thing because we all are. And if they weren't, then none of us could go. But inclusive in the sense that come and be healed, become a better person, you know, that inclusive in that way. But if we mean inclusive in that it has to just belong to everyone equally with no real goal or purpose in mind, well, when when that becomes the focus of any institution or anything, it just means that you're erasing that institution. Inclusivity itself, for its own sake, cannot be the primary point of anything, because in order for anything to be anything, it must not be everything that it isn't. Okay, does that? Now I'm confusing myself. Um, Sometimes when you're dealing with concepts that are so insane, you have to you have to state these simple realities that it almost sounds crazy that because you have to say it out loud. So, in order for football to be football, it has to not be baseball or basketball. If a steakhouse wants to be a steakhouse, it has to specialize in making steaks, not in making 7,000 different things. If the Boy Scouts want to be the Boy Scouts, it has to have only boys. That's why it's the Boy Scouts. Of course, that's not the case anymore. That's why the Boy Scouts effectively doesn't exist. Once inclusivity becomes the point, include everyone, and see them all is totally equal. There's no specific purpose or point here. That you have to conform yourself to, well, then it's just there's there's no point. Might as well not exist. All right. Let's start with uh, this Biden. Pr- President Biden appeared at a you know, did a, a rare appearance in front of um, the media yesterday. And uh, as things were wrapping up, he was asked a question by Peter Doocy over at Fox News about inflation and how that might affect the midterms. And here was uh, Biden's response.
1: Do you think inflation political
0: that's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a! Bitch. Stupid son of a biscuit is what he said. And and the great thing about that is uh, well, there's a few things that are great about it. But but first of all, he's he's speaking. This is being called a hot mic moment, and uh, and those kinds of things happen. You know, like a real hot mic moment when you're in front of cameras all the time, there's microphones around all the time, and you think the microphone is off or something like that, and uh, and or you, maybe you're wearing a microphone, you forget that you have it on, and you just say something off the cuff. I mean, those kinds of things happen. But in this case, he's sitting right in front of the microphone. He's not even muttering. He's just speaking into it. A microphone that he was just using a second ago. So this is not, he's like walking away and uh, got to take his mic off or he said something that picked, off, picked, up, picked up by a mic that he didn't know was there. No, he's speaking directly into the microphone. Not because he wanted to be heard, but because he is clueless, because he's lost his mind. This is part, these, are, these are all symptoms of dementia. Not aware of his surroundings. Also prone to angry outbursts. Um, and, and prone to just saying things that are wildly inappropriate and, kind of, and just weird. These are all dementia symptoms. But the other thing, of course, that you can't help but, but, uh, but think about is is if, if uh, President Trump had said this to, say, a CNN reporter, imagine the reaction. They would be holding... Candlelight vigils to commemorate the tragedy for the next 50 years. Every CNN anchor that day and for the next week at least, it's the only thing they would talk about. It's an attack on the free press. They would be in tears. Don Lemon would be crying. Brian Stelter would be in tears in a fetal position on the floor, on camera, weeping over it. They would be bringing in counselors on air they, to, to counsel them through their PTSD. I mean, can you imagine? Now, of course, President Trump called people sons of bitches all the time. And I'm sure he said that about the media many times and not uh, and perfectly justified in, in saying that as well. But if he had said it to their face on camera. to uh, Maybe Jim Acosta, you stupid son of a bitch. I would have I would have really enjoyed that. I wish he had said it. But. The theatrics that would follow that be unlike anything we've seen. They'd be calling that that, that this it was it equates to to 9 911s Pearl Harbor three times. My God! But Joe Biden says it, and uh, of course it's you know no big deal. Um, and Peter Ducey, to his credit, has just kind of laughed it off because he's a you know he's a grown man. He has some. He has some sense of dignity, so he's not going to get up there and start crying about it. All right, let's see. Also, we got this from Fox Business. It says, when Truth Social launches later this quarter, the Trump Media and Technology Group social media platform will already have stringent content moderation practices in place to ensure that it is a family-friendly online community. Um, According to the company CEO, Devin Nunes, uh, both Nunes and uh, former President Donald Trump Separately have told Fox Business that Truth Social is expected to be up and running by the end of the first quarter of 2022. Um, And uh, what they're saying is that um, they are going to... Here we go. Fox Business says that there's an AI model that that they will be using, a, a Silicon Valley AI thing that they'll be using, that will monitor Truth Social to offer content moderation for posts to ensure that sexually explicit content... And posts that include violence, bullying, hate speech, and spam never make it to the platform. Now, uh, if you're going to start your own social media platform, getting rid of, filtering out all the sexually explicit content is fantastic. That's the right thing to do. But if this is supposed to be, and you're calling it Truth Social, and this is supposed to be an answer to Twitter, I mean, I like the idea. All of these attempts to... You know, create alternative social media platforms. I, I I like I like it in theory. I think it's a good thing to do. And we also need guys like Trump that have got a lot of money and they've got, um, they've already they already have a a platform and they have visibility and they could drive. And you know, if anyone can drive people to a new platform, Donald Trump has that unique ability beyond anybody else on earth. And so, in theory, it's a great idea. But If you're using Silicon Valley AI to filter out, quote unquote, hate speech and bullying. Well, then you're just making Twitter. You're making a a cut rate Twitter. There's no reason to leave Twitter. Might as well just keep using Twitter. In fact, the, the whole idea of making family friend, it sounds nice. Okay, we're gonna have family friendly social media. But there can't really be a family-friendly social media because social media itself is not, is not a family-friendly thing. In order to be family-friendly, it has to be child-friendly, right? There's no such thing as child-friendly social media. I don't care how good your AI is at filtering out explicit content. Even if it does a perfect job, it, it, it uh, you know bats a thousand in that department. You still shouldn't have your children on social media, no matter what the content is. So there's no point in even trying to make necessarily family-friendly social media, but um, how about just social media that's friendly to uh, to free speech, and also if you're calling it truth social, friendly to the truth. But we know the way Silicon Valley looks at it when they when they talk about and this is their technology you're using, and when they say hate speech. What they really mean, it kind of reminds me of a a quote from the office. It's it's hate speech because they hate it. That's what they mean. And bullying is just stuff that they, if you take a stance or say something that they don't like, then it's bullying. That's how I got suspended from Twitter because I said that biological males are men. That's hate speech and bullying. If you're adopting that approach in your answer to Twitter, I don't even see the point. All right, let's uh, go back to the White House here. Jen Psaki was asked, I uh, thought, a very good question as we talk about Ukraine and uh, the possibility of conflict over Ukraine with Russia. The question to Jen Psaki is, hey, if, if, if Europeans are, don't seem very excited about protecting Europe, then why should we care that much about it? I mean, why should we be the ones to do it if they won't do it? That's the $10 million question over the last several decades of foreign policy. All of these countries, the people of these countries do not seem very excited or determined to protect their own homeland. Why should we do it? Or we want to go into the Middle East and uh, protect democracy for a bunch of people that don't want democracy, apparently. So let's see how Jen Psaki handles that question. Got it. And then just more broadly, um, for years, NATO members have fallen short of their uh, defense spending uh, commitments. Uh, Last year, more than 60 percent of the alliance's 30 members, including half of the Bucharest 9 that are right uh, near Russia there, um, failed to meet uh, their uh, 2 percent GDP spending commitment. Um, If Europeans aren't willing to expend uh, blood and treasure on their self-defense, why should Americans be expected to do so? Well, we are continuing to advocate for um, all members to uh, reach uh, the 2% goal. That has been the, vi- the president's position since he was the vice president, um, so for many years now. Uh, I would say that Uh, We have a sacred obligation under NATO, uh, and we believe it is also in our interest to support our eastern flank countries uh, and
1: and their security. And also to be clear about uh, the uh, the value we have as Americans, which is that no country should be able to take with force
0: um, another country as as Russia is attempting to do at this point in time. A sacred obligation with NATO. Uh, No, there's, there's nothing sacred, first of all. In agreements that countries make between themselves, these are all these are all political arrangements. It's not sacred. I'll tell you, as um, if you work for the United States government, you you do have sacred obligations. Your sacred obligations are to uh, the people of the United States. Your sacred, sacred obligation is to protect the United States. Your sacred obligation is to protect the United States border, to protect our sovereignty and our people. And when we see that our country is in a state of uh, of collapse. Border is like a sieve and our cities are collapsing, crime running rampant, law and order deteriorating. You know, your sacred obligation is to do something about those problems. That's what you're hired to do. We don't have any sacred, sacred obligation to Ukraine. Or our, our principle is that no country should ever take over another country by force. really in the entire world so it's our job as america to make sure that no country ever does that anywhere to any other country why what about the countries involved what about the country that's being taken over i mean do, do they have any obligation here you know, it's always funny to me when we hear um, all of this fretting, especially by American politicians, that uh, Russia is expanding its influence across the globe. Uh, they're expanding their influence. Meanwhile, these very same politicians and people in government, I just heard from Jen Psaki, they think that America should have influence over every single country on earth. They think we should potentially have a say in what happens in every single country on the globe. But we're worried about Russia's influence. So here's what I want to pass along for anyone in the audience. If you're listening to this and uh, maybe you disagree with what I'm saying and you, and you feel very strongly that uh, we, you know, we have a sacred obligation to Ukraine and we have to go protect Ukraine. We also have to protect, um, as she says, the eastern flank of Europe, uh, even though the Europeans themselves don't seem to care that much about it, are not investing almost anything in doing that. But we have to do it. So if you feel that way, if you feel strongly about it, that we should expend uh, not just money, but more importantly, lives, to go die potentially on Ukrainian soil to protect Ukraine from Russia, then here's what I would, I want to pass this along. It's a very helpful link and uh, take out, maybe take out a, a, a pencil, pen or pencil and write this down. It is um, immigration Ukraine.com slash citizenship dash of dash Ukraine. Again, I give it to immigration immigrationukrainecom slash citizenship dash of dash Ukraine. And just plug that uh, address in there, and it's going to pull up the Ukrainian Immigration Bureau website, and it's all written in English, very, very, in a very handy way, and it's going to give you the process to become a citizen of Ukraine. And this is what I would really recommend for anyone that cares that much about Ukraine. Absolutely, go to the website, um, start the process, move to Ukraine, become a citizen, and then join the military. And in fact, I think, and I was just, I was looking through this briefly. Um, I'll have, to do a, I'll have to do a deeper dive and I could give you the maybe the information tomorrow, but I believe that yeah, you can actually move there and uh, be, and join the military first and then and then uh, kind of earn your citizenship that way. So but you, you could also call them. there's numbers you can call and everything. but absolutely. this is what for, for anyone that cares that much, if you think that um, you know American parents should send their sons and even now their daughters, to go die to protect Ukraine. That's how strongly you feel about it. Then please go to this website, leave this country, become a citizen of Ukraine, and you can fight and die yourself for it. All right, a couple other clips I want to play for you. Here are the ladies of The View explaining why they may never ride the subway again without a mask. They may never go out in public again without a mask because of all the things we've learned since the pandemic. Listen. I think there's a prudence we've learned with the mask, the hand, sanita- uh, hand sanitizing, that kind of like 9-11 with flying is always going to be
1: here now. There's a new normal. In the beginning, when post-9-11, people didn't want to fly, and the
0: security measures felt like, uh, how do we do this? You know, And now it's the norm. I think some of the things we've learned in this pandemic are going to stay the same. I may never ride a subway again without a mask. I may never go indoors to big crowds and never feel comfortable without a mask, and that's up to me to do that. By the way, I have to get on this show. Um, this my next stop on daytime TV. I've already we've done Doctor Phil, and my next step has to be The View. This is my this is my ultimate dream is to be on The View. Um, I could die, I, you know. I, I could retire after that, and and I could die a happy man if I could just get on The View. I think everyone needs to reach out to the, to the people of The View and demand, in fact, that they feature the number one best selling LGBT children's author in the world on their show. Anything less, their refusal to bring me on the show would be an act of gay erasure and homophobia. As far as the point being made here, such as it is, uh, she says, well, because of everything we've learned during the pandemic, that's why I'm, I, I, I just can't. I can't be in large crowds again without a mask. Can't run, ride a subway because of what we learned. What have we learned exactly? What what have you learned? What did you learn during the pandemic about viruses that you didn't know before? And that makes you want to wear a mask out in public. Did you not know that there were potentially germs and viruses in the air when you're around other people? Did you not know that the subway is <laughs> Did it just occur to you that the subway in New York is can be a kind of a dirty place? I'm pretty sure you knew that before. I know I did. So Here's what I'll tell you. I didn't learn, and it's not because I'm not open to learning. I'm open to learning, but I have not learned a single thing about viruses or masks or vaccines, for that matter, that I didn't already know. So I know that viruses exist. I know germs exist. I know that people can get sick. I know that you could be around other people who are sick and that they can get you sick. In fact, we've, we've known that ever since the germ theory of disease was first developed. We've known that for a long time. And I knew it, and yet I would still go around in public as I do now without a mask because I have had conducted a risk-benefit analysis and decided that the risk is not enough that would necessitate me changing my lifestyle to that extent. You know what? I had also judged that that you know things like breathing fresh air. Not a lot of that on a subway, but still, in general, breathing fresh air is more important to me than trying to protect myself from any potential viruses out there by wearing a mask. That's it's more important. Um, being able to show my face in public and to see other people's faces that is more important to me than protecting myself from a virus. That's the calculation I made up until two years ago, and I continue to make now. And the thing is, every other person in the country, every single one, all 330 million plus of them, had made the same calculation, whether consciously or not. Because they all we all knew that masks existed. We all knew viruses existed. We all knew germs existed. And yet nobody was going out in public with a mask on. With rare exception. You know, you have someone who's who's very sick, someone's going through, their their immune system is is very very weakened, maybe going through chemotherapy or something. You know, rare exception. Everybody else going out without masks on. Not because they didn't know, but because they had done, even if just subconsciously, the risk-benefit analysis. So it's not that you learn new things, it's that your priorities changed. Or maybe it's better to say that you've been conditioned. And she's proudly admitting it. Oh yeah, I've been I've been conditioned by the fear camp, the panic porn from the government. So much so that it's it's changed the way that I see my life. It's changed the way that I see people. And she's proud to admit it. In fact, the the comparison that she makes is is apt, where she talks about the TSA and how, oh, so totally normal, going to the TSA. Everyone's fine with it. Yeah, it is normal in that the TSA is in every single airport and you can't avoid them. But I'm not fine with it. In fact, every time I go through airport security, I am very much aware and cognizant of the fact that this is all theater. That's all it is. There's really there was there was never any real good reason to federalize airport security, especially when 9/11 was in many ways the result of failures of the federal government to prevent it, and not because they didn't have opportunities. So then the federal government gets to come in and take over airport security when they drop the ball. So I'm cognizant of that every single time I go through. This is all pointless. Um, And not to mention, we put all of this intense focus on airplanes as if that's the only place a terrorist can attack. I mean, a terrorist could just put a suicide bomb on and walk into any crowded place. And kill at least as many people as they would kill by taking down a plane. So it doesn't even make any sense anyway. I, I either, either federalize and have a TSA military security everywhere in the country at every public event. Or don't have it at all. And leave it to the individual airports and so on to, to deal with the security. I'm aware of that. I think about it every single time. What she's just admitting is that she's not a she's not a critical thinker, and she beca- she's easily conditioned. And so, for her, like unfortunately, many many people in this country, the government just has to put something in place. You put a new policy or procedure in place, and maybe at first, maybe she'll be kind of critical of it or skeptical for a few days or hours. But just keep it there for a little bit longer, and suddenly she it's just part of her life now, and she stops questioning it. Because she doesn't have the critical thinking faculties to question things that are quote-unquote normal. The moment they become normal, she can't question them anymore. And she's quite proud to admit it. Pretty amazing. All right, what else we got here? This is from the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin on Wednesday overhauled the state's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion to focus on economic opportunity, parental rights, and protecting unborn children. The governor announced the change in an executive order naming former Heritage Foundation executive Angela Saylor as the office's director. Youngkin's executive order also expands the scope of the office beyond standard diversity issues. It directs the office to eliminate disparities in prenatal care and be an ambassador for unborn children. Yunkin also announced that he would seek to change the name of the department uh, to the Office of Diversity, Opportunity, and Inclusion. So rather than diversity, equity, and inclusion, now it's the diversity, uh, opportunity, and inclusion, um, Ralph Northam, former governor, established the office in 2019, and uh, and he he did that. Okay, was it was that yeah, it was after his uh, blackface faux pas became public, and then that this was his one of his ways of paying reparations was to establish an office of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, this this is a lot of people on the right are kind of celebrating this and saying this is another good move by Glenn Youngkin. And don't get me wrong, Glenn Youngkin has done a lot right in his first couple weeks in office. I would dare say he's had the best first week in office of any governor in my lifetime. I can't think of uh, anything better. He had the the best first day. He did more in in one day than many governors will do in in their entire tenure. So a lot of credit to him for that. But this, I don't like. Um, This, I'm not a fan of. Now, having an ambassador for the unborn, focusing on parental rights, on the rights of children, um, all that stuff is great. But to do it within the framework of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, I don't like that. No, we don't what you should be doing is, is not overhauling the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. An office that, as we know, it's only been around for two years. And it was just it it, it it was it was formed as a PR stunt by the previous governor. So what do you do with that? You just come in and get rid of it. That's it. Don't overhaul it. Get rid of it. Fire everybody that works for it. And be done with it. And if you want to have a separate program or office or something that is focused on the rights of the unborn or parental rights, fantastic, do that. But to overhaul this office and then rename it a little bit, I think is the wrong move. Um, What we have to stop doing, what I talk about all the time, this mistake that we make as conservatives, by adopting the left's framework for things. So we're going to take the leftist framework of diversity, equity, and inclusion and just use that to advance, say, the pro-life agenda. It, it never works. And it's pointless because who's it supposed to appeal to? It's not like you're going to convince the people on the left to say, oh, well, if the pro-life movement is, is part of uh, an effort for diversity and equity, then I'm in favor of it. I mean, they might be stupid. They're not that stupid. And everybody on the right, we don't need that. So who exactly are you appealing to? This is part of the thing that we, again, conservatives will often do. It's a, it's a strategy. I just think it's a mistaken one where we're going to say to the left, oh, you know what? We're better at living by your values than you are. You you think that you care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and tolerance, but you don't. No, the left, they're, they're the real intolerant ones. No, I'll show you how to be tolerant. Always the wrong move. So a lot, a lot of good from Glenn Youngkin, not this. And uh, we got to call out, we got to call out the bad when we see it. I think still. A lower mortgage rate can make quite a difference on your budget. It's true. You could save hundreds of dollars a month simply by refinancing to one of these incredibly low rates. Think of how much that can help. Then pick up the phone and call American Financing and do it now before rates get any higher. I mean it. You cannot miss out on what's available right now, especially since there's no cost to get started. You'll get a free, no-obligation mortgage review from a salary-based mortgage consultant. They'll walk you through the custom loan options and find every way possible to save you up to $1,000 a month without resetting your term. You can choose any uh, term 10 years and over, and you have the potential to skip two mortgage payments. So don't put your refi off any longer. Call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Again, that's 866-569-4711. One more time, that's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing NMLS, 182 334 ConsumerAccess.org. Let's get now to our comment section.
1: Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby game.
0: Alright, dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments, and we've got, uh, we're going back to the video comments today, and let's start, we'll just go through the clips here, let's start with clip one. Hey Matt, I thought you were brilliant on Dr. Phil, and I wanted to conduct an experiment in my own home and see if my six-year-old daughter and my three-year-old son could tell me the difference between a man and a woman, and what a woman is. I'm going to ask you something. What is a woman? A female. What makes a woman different from a man?
1: Uh, boobs. <laughs> well, there you have it. SPG for life.
0: Horrifying! Horrifying! You you have conditioned these poor children to be transphobes this early in life. I, for one, am, no. This is a. Yeah, this is it, well. It just goes to show. Uh, and if I were and you know if I were to ask my kids the same question, I would get very similar answers. These are concepts that are so simple that literally a three-year-old can understand them until the indoctrinators come in and confuse the kids intentionally. So it's one, it's one big, like we talked about last week, we, we have, we're standing on the firm ground of truth of a very simple truth that the three-year-old can understand. How do you know someone's a woman? Uh, boobs. There you go. Really? It's that simple. Most of the time. Um, we're standing on the firm ground of truth, and all the left does is they just, they, they don't have answers for themselves. All they could try to do is confuse you. And unfortunately, with kids, it's it's easy to confuse them because they're just kids. So keep those, keep those uh, young children away from the public school system, please. All right, let's go to number two.
1: Hey, Sweet Daddy Walsh. My name is Shelby, and I recently fled California and moved to Tennessee, and I'm honored to be living in the same state as my sweet daddy. Um I just wanted to say that I also keep my house pretty cool usually around 62 to 64 degrees even though it's pretty chilly here in Tennessee and I just wanted to let you know that some of us women are on the same page as you um, and I'm standing standing with you on this one instead of uh, your wife but keep the house cold helps you sleep better and thanks for the great show.
0: Yeah, this this sweet daddy thing is just it it. We should have thought about this before we did the video comments. It's a whole different experience hearing it. And the other thing is, there are, there are a lot of new um, viewers on to the Matt Walsh show this week, which which is great. A lot of people discovering the you know the show because of Doctor Phil, and I don't even know what they must be thinking with <laughs> these comments. From people calling me "Sweet Daddy Washer," like what? What is what? What is happening in the show? They must be wondering. And the thing is, if I we, we never explain the Sweet Baby Gang, that's one of the rules. But even if I did, I'm not sure it would make it any less weird. So I got to think about this. Let's just uh, thanks for the comment. Let's let's uh, let's move on. What have we got here? <laughs> <laughs> to go return it for them cuz that's what a good member would do is not that right now <laughs> we, return or die return, return or, or die. die return or die sweep be the game for life <laughs> I, I love that we're making the world a better place um one one shopping cart at a time so this is this is really a, a movement and at the same time, we are continuing to just confuse everyone. So the other people in the parking lot watching someone return their sh- their shopping cart while chanting, return or die, very confusing. Uh, one more comment here. Let's watch this.
1: Hey, Matt. Huge fan of the show. Uh, so is my buddy Cosmo back here. Um, I just wanted to throw in a quick comment to see if maybe you and Michael Knowles would be willing to team up and create some sort of... Uh, Dating site, dating app, uh, connected with a Daily Wire, um, because you know I feel like a lot of single people like myself share in a lot of these values. Um, you know, con, you know, being a conservative, being a Christian, all that sort of thing. It's it just seems to be re- very hard right now to try to find the right match. So um, I wanted to throw it out there see if you guys are open to doing something like that because i feel like my ideal match would obviously be christian and conservative and you know more most importantly um they would be a member of the sweet baby gang so uh so i think if you and Knowles teamed up on something like that it would be amazing i don't know talk it over with ben but i think it'd be a great idea help us single people out man um huge fan of the show again um sbg for life
0: yeah, I uh, I like the idea of having our own dating app. First of all, why would I include Knowles in it? I mean, this is because the, the reason I like it is because we make a lot of money off of that. So I like the profit part of it, and I would just keep all the money for myself. But um, in terms of actually solving the problem with the dating scene, I'm not sure another app would really do it. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of um of I'm sure there are plenty of you know Christian dating apps or whatever out there. Uh, that are they're allegedly catering. They may not be specifically catering, catering to the Sweet Baby Gang, unfortunately, but um, there are plenty of apps that are supposed to cater to that audience, and I'm not sure. It, it, that's probably better than using one of these other apps, but it doesn't really solve a lot of the problems that we talked about yesterday, where, I mean, the problems are just way too many options. Just the, the whole act of, like, going through faces and swiping the ones you don't like uh, is just kind of dehumanizing and... and inherently dismissive in a way that just doesn't put you on the right footing for trying to find a real relationship. And then there's the problem, like we talked about, that, that it's, this is all, it's all, it is all exclusively visual, right? Or almost exclusive. So you've got the picture and then maybe a little bit of a description of the person in their profile. But most of these determinations are, are made um, visually. And that kind of flips things on their head, especially for women, because women um, are not nearly as visual as men. And so if a woman meets a man in person, it doesn't even take that long. Like she, the, the physical part of it is going to be helpful, but she's going to pick up on a lot more, right? Personality, intelligence, just kind of their aura. You know, women have kind of an intuition about those things and that, none of that is there with the picture. So um, that's just a long way of saying, I'm not sure that any app can solve these problems. I think, I think the real way to solve the problem is to get away from the apps. Um, if anything, you know, maybe go back to traditional sort of matchmaking type services or try to go out as hard as it must be. And I don't envy it at all. Envy you at all if you're in this position, but really you got to go out in public and try to meet people in person. I I don't know where you would begin to do that, but I I think that's what you have to start thinking about because these apps come with problems that just can't be solved by another app. All right. um, Let's see. Moose Chuckle says, Matt, your show was late to start, but as a diligent vo- follower, I was here waiting. Will you please put Matt Walsh bobbleheads in the online store? If you will buy them, I have no shame. I mean, you can go to the online store at dailywire.com shop, go to the Matt Walsh store, and you will clearly see that I have no shame at all. And I, if, if, if there's an audience for it, we will sell it. There was an audience, a disturbingly large audience, for t-shirts with pictures of me in a diaper. And so we put it up to sell. Okay. So we'll, we'll do the bobbleheads too. All right. Friend of uh, Jesus says, I'm single 36 years old. I'm a pastor. And yes, the dating scene is rather toxic. I feel as if I stand upon an infinite plane of destruction, stretching out in all directions toward a dark, miserable, empty sunset. And my only hope is that God might somehow bring these dry bones to life. I don't know if that's a quote from something, but if that's your own words, then, uh, Rather depressing, but also, see, see the, the fact that you can write that alone means that women would be interested in you. The fact that you have, you have the ability to write and think that way and um, express yourself in, in that way. But that's, again, is something that's it's hard to put that foot forward in a dating app, and that's part of the problem. Uh, because what you just put there, quite beautiful, really, and depressing. You know, But that's not something you want to put in a dating profile. But the ability to speak that way and write that way is something that women do find interesting. Um, let's see. Kevin says, hey, Matt, I've got a question that relates to two topics you've frequently discussed, marriage and dating, and also porn. If, you, if a guy has a porn addiction, should he wait to start dating a girl until he gets control of it and uh, defeats it? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Um, because... If the porn habit is being indulged alongside establishing a relationship with someone, that's that's not going to work, and you're just setting yourself up for failure, setting her up for failure, her up for feelings of uh, betrayal and all of that. So I would I would focus on on getting that under control and then moving on. Um, and uh, finally, Scott says, there are two possible outcomes after going on Dr. Phil. You either start having nightmares and are traumatized, or you gain over 50,000 subscribers on YouTube in under a week. Yeah, well, it's actually more than 50,000, not to brag, but. And now I've just been working overtime to alienate so many of those new subscribers. So we'll see how many we have left by the end of the week. If you haven't heard of Adam Carolla's new Daily Wire exclusive comedy series, Truth Yeller, it's about time you do. In the next episode airing this Thursday, Adam gets controversial by mocking Hunter Biden and the way our overlords are attempting to crate train your kids. T.J. Miller of Silicon Valley, Deadpool, Big Hero 6, and more joins Adam to drop some comedy gold and prove that he knows how to identify a grandma killer, which is a good skill to have. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Miller for 25% off your membership. Look out for the new episode with T.J. Miller dropping this Thursday. And also, The Daily Wire is constantly working to bring you the truth. That's why we've launched our own publishing wing, DW Books. and We're proud to be publishing two books that are actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. The book is the true story of what really happened the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting. Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran, takes readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have recklessly been shared with the public. DW Books is also publishing Fiery but Mostly Peaceful by... Uh, Julio Rosas, who uh, puts back, pulls back the curtain and sets the record straight on the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in 2020. Rosas, uh, who was reporting from the ground, gives his firsthand experience of the, uh, of the riots and exposes the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were somehow peaceful. I'm so grateful to have these brave truth-tellers on board. Can't wait for you to hear their stories. Both are available for pre-order now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. Now let's get to our Daily Cancellation. Somehow, though, it would seem that the Daily Cancellation was made for her. Lena Dunham has, I don't think, ever been canceled on this show. Sadly, she dropped off the face of the earth right around the time when I began this segment. Some might even speculate that the timing was not a coincidence. Perhaps she fled from public view in order to avoid the wrath of the Daily Cancellation. She was briefly back on the radar early in 2021 when she released a plus-sized fashion line that was immediately slammed by critics for not catering to fat people enough. Um, the woke crowd claimed that Dunham's new brand failed the inclusivity test because though it had clothing for large people, it did not have any for very large and very, very large people. So Dunham's attempt to relaunch her career crashed and burned as the woke zombies swarmed the rocket before takeoff and devoured everybody inside, which is probably why they need bigger clothing. But now Dunham is making her real comeback. And last week, a lengthy puff piece in The Hollywood Reporter featuring glamour shots like this one, which you can see here, there you go, Uh, feast your eyes on that for a moment, announced that Dunham was back on the scene and she's not going anywhere. And her new film, Sharp Stick, has debuted. The website MovieMaker.com quotes her Q&A after the premiere at Sundance, where she explains what the film is about and what she hopes to achieve with it. The article says, quote, Lena Dunham's sharp stick shows the porn industry in a rare positive light. She says that was 100% intentional. Now, side note, you're of course filled with a deep sense of foreboding at the thought that Lena Dunham directed and starred in a film about porn. But just to put your mind at ease, we're not playing any clips. We will stick instead with what she has said about the movie and continuing. She says, I think many of us were, especially people who started maybe like reading second wave feminist literature early. We were shaped by a kind of feminism that maybe didn't give porn its due as something that can be really healing for people. Dunham, who directed, wrote, and acted in Sharp Sticks, said Saturday in a Q&A after the film's world premiere at Sundance, quote, I think we have found, me- we have enough messaging in society, and probably in my 20s I contributed to it, that said like, porn is ruining sex and it's making it so hard for people. But I really wanted this to show the way that porn can liberate people and that it's an industry that's just as complicated as Hollywood and as vast and probably more prolific. And I think that it's really important for us to recognize the very healthy role that porn can play and the important role that porn actors play in shaping people's identities. Now, we should mention here that Dunham's new film has been described even by mainstream critics who are predisposed to appreciate Dunham's work as, quote, heinous, hollow, amateurish, cringe, uncomfortable, and problematic. Those are also all the adjectives that I would use to describe a Lena Dunham starring film about the wonders of porn, even though I haven't seen it. I never will, because I'd sooner scoop my own eyes out with a rusty spoon than watch something like that. But even if the film fails to impress the critics, the basic message is one that would generally enjoy wide agreement among many people in our culture, especially on the left. Porn is liberating and empowering, we're told. Healing, even, as Dunham claims. Is that true? In a word, no. Pornography is about as liberating, empowering, and healing as heroin. When Dunham calls it all of those things, what she really means is that it's pleasurable and she draws no distinction between pleasure and liberation or pleasure and joy or pleasure and love because for her, as for so many others in our culture, momentary pleasure is the highest good that we can hope to achieve. A life packed full of moments of surface level pleasure is mistaken then for a fulfilled and joyful life. That is, these two things are mistaken until you look around and see the results. Because if porn is so wonderful and healing, then you'd expect, for one thing, that the people in the porn industry would be the most joyful and healed of all. And yet we find among people in that line of work, sky-high rates of suicide and drug abuse, just as we find among prostitutes. And the people who appear in porn videos are just prostitutes, after all. As for the viewer, when you look at porn, you become a faceless onlooker, peering like a stalker through the window of a motel, while someone else has sex with a hooker they hired on the street corner. But it's worse than that, really, because it's less honest. At least the peeping Tom is forced to reckon with his behavior. He's out in the cold, ducking behind bushes, watching these two go at it. And from there, he sees the whole act, the whole dismal exchange. He doesn't get to dip in and out of a dozen scenes, consuming portions and glances before breezing along to the next. He doesn't get to close the tab when it's all over and act like nothing happened. He's there as a stranger in the dark, and he has to go home and deal with the reality of what he's become. The porn viewer, on the other hand, feels insulated. What he's doing really is identical in a lot of ways, but it doesn't seem that way because it's safer. It's a screen, not a window. She's an amateur porn star, not a prostitute. His actions are legal, even normal by today's standards. Well, he's different, he tells himself. He's better. That's a lie, because everything about porn is a lie. Porn makes human beings into objects. It turns the sexual act into something transactional and mercenary. You know, sex between a married couple in the privacy of their bedroom is an expression of love and devotion. So then what does sex on camera for the viewing public express? And what does the viewer ex- what does the viewer express by viewing it? I mean, the supporters of porn, they're, they're the first ones to claim that this is an, is an act of expression. Okay, I'll take you at your word what is it expressing exactly? Certainly not empowerment. A woman who feels like she has power over her life does not whore herself out to the porn industry. And a man, or woman for that matter, who feels like he has power over his own life does not make a whore of himself by watching it. The porn industry, along with sites like Pornhub and so on, they profit off of the willful self-degradation of both the viewer and the view to the tune of many billions of dollars. You know, it's hard to argue that consumers are ever really empowered in their role as consumer, even when they're consuming something innocuous or morally neutral. I've never felt empowered while waiting in line at Target, which isn't to say that there's, that there's anything morally wrong with shopping at a real t- retail outlet. It's just to say that I would never try to find anything poetic or beautiful about the experience. So then what about consumers of the porn industry's product? If you're not empowered while pushing a cart around the aisles of a big box retailer, How in the hell could you be empowered in your role as a faceless third-party participant in virtual prostitution? And how could the prostitutes themselves be empowered? No, everyone involved is being used, dehumanized, and objectified. Far from being healed, they're being damaged. Though they may find some pleasure in the harm being done to them, just as you may find pleasure in the brain damage you suffer from drinking too much whiskey, that can't be confused with joy, or least of all, empowerment. And this is all why today, finally, we have the honor to say to Lena Dunham, you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Joe Biden taps Tom Hanks to get people to like him. The Supreme Court considers striking down affirmative action, and the ruling class really wants you to eat bugs. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.